It takes more than great code to be a great engineer. This is Soft Skills Engineering, the podcast, episode number 45. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I am your host, Jameson Dance. So we actually just had a really great conversation with an engineer from a company called Algolia. Yeah, Algolia is building a really cool search service that is used by lots of companies. Yeah, it gets used in a lot of open source projects or open tools. Uh, Hacker News, I think it's the search for Hacker News. It powers the React documentation, the Yarn documentation, Periscope, Twitch, a bunch of other um, things that you have used. (laughs) That's right. Algolia is looking for engineers. Um, Not just any engineer. They want people who care about the kind of stuff that we talk about on this podcast. So they sponsored us to get the word out that they are hiring people like you, dear listeners. Yeah, they're looking for engineers who want to try something new by working as a solutions engineer in either San Francisco or Paris. Wow. What is a solutions engineer? Is that sales? It is not sales. (laughs) Do not be afraid. They actually work with other engineers to build SDKs. They help write clients. They will also consult with customers to make basically make sure the product is working well for them. And they'll also do uh, some kind of education Yeah, and if you're up for it at Algolia, you can travel and speak at conferences. In fact, the engineer we spoke with traveled to Finland and Australia last year to go speak at different conferences. Yep, traveled to both of the places, (laughs) both of the conference places. Yep. One of the things that impressed me about Algolia is their company culture. They take it really seriously, and they work hard to create a good environment for people to do their best work. They also said they're looking for a specific kind of engineer. Uh, the, The person we interviewed specifically said that this role will have a lot of latitude to solve customer problems. So they probably want someone who is uh, good at self-direction and, and exploration. Dave, can you tell us anything about the interview process? Yeah, so to start, if you're interested, go check it out at algolia.com slash engineering. That's A-L-G-O-L-I-A dot com slash engineering. The process is simple. There's a phone screen and an at-home assignment that you'll publish on GitHub. After that, they'll fly you out to their office for an in-person interview. Also, on their website, there's a picture of a person in the in a hammock, which is basically, we think, the culturally acceptable ball pit. Yep. You know how you look in the browser uh, URL bar and there's the little lock and it says secure? Mm-hmm. The hammock in your jobs page is basically like that for <laughs> company culture. <laughs> it's like, yep, chill. The chill lock. All right. Yeah, thank you to Algolia for sponsoring the podcast. Go check it out. Uh, we're going to do something a little differently today mm-hmm. with our questions. What, what, do, what do we got cooking, Jameson? We are going to do a rapid fire episode. Um, it makes me think of, you know, in those cowboy movies, how somebody will like, well, they usually get really drunk. We didn't do that part, but the, <laughs> and then they'll throw a bunch of stuff up in the air and then like shoot it all out of the air. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're going to do with wisdom. We're going to throw <laughs> questions up in the air and then like spin around in a circle and just like, Blam! Answer them. With our wisdom shatter, bullets. And shatter our... the question <laughs> bottle with our wisdom bullets. Yes. Okay. Um, I think I'll go ahead and read the first question then. Okay. No pressure. This I'm, is... I'm ready. Get your, ready to get draw. Your, get your six shooter out there, Tech. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This comes from listener Desi who writes... If you look at my resume, I'm kind of the example of the jack-of-all-trades, master of none. I have a bachelor's in marketing and a master's in marketing. I have no real-world experience, 
so I pretty much get passed up for anything. I feel like I've tried everything and been on tons of interviews, just never gotten a chance to be a software developer. So what do you say to Desi, Jameson? Uh, have you ever worked as a software developer before? Uh, I think no. Have you ever taken any classes or done any education or built anything on your own? Maybe a little. Okay, kabam! You don't have any experience, and people don't want to hire someone to become a developer. They want to hire someone who can be a developer. Like so already. Need, right. Yeah, you need something. Uh, you need something. It's really hard to just break in to the front door when you don't have any experience at all. The market is not that hot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not the, yet. The market is hot, but it's not 1999 anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say build stuff on your own or mm-hmm. look at a boot camp or some yep. kind of education and then try and get a junior developer job. Yeah, and we know not everyone can just quit their job, take no income for three months and ramp up a new career, right? So some yeah. of these some boot camps will do evening classes, which can work out pretty well. Yep. But you need some kind of experience. Yeah, definitely true. I don't think I've ever seen a job where they won't take any. Oh, no, I have seen one. Yes, uh, a friend of mine started a company. This is Izeni. Um, you know you know Izeni, right, Jameson? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, yeah, he'll actually take company. people with like no experience and pay them minimum wage and, until they get up to speed, and then he'll give them a, like a regular developer salary at that point. So the only company I've ever heard that does that. Okay, talk to Izeni. <laughs> it exploded in the air. We got it. <laughs> All right, right. want to read our next one, Jameson? I will. This is from an anonymous listener. I've been offered a position that pays substantially more than I currently make, about two times more. I really like my current position. I have a good mentor, reasonably interesting projects, and a more than livable salary, but feel I should cash in now as, air quotes, data science is super hot and talent constrained right now. Should I take a job that pays a lot more, even though it's a scary change? So if I'm in this situation and I'm pretty happy at my job, but there's a lot of money on the table and I'm super interested in data science, I'm probably going to go for it. That's how I roll. (laughs) Exploded in the air. I totally agree. I think if you're interested in the field and there's nothing horrible about it, I mean, if it's like, and also I'll now have a four hour commute or there's some other giant (laughs) red flag, (laughs) then money won't make up for that. But if it's potentially interesting, if you hate it, you can like dry your tears with the dollar bills that you made from the job and then go take a <laughs> long, expensive sabbatical and then write eloquent and beautiful medium posts about all the self-discovery that you do in the free time that you've earned by doing this lucrative job. I quit a job once after about six years, five years. And um, after six months, I realized that, that I really liked it. And so I went back. I actually did that once and it worked out. So just because you sure. quit, it doesn't mean it's the end of the road necessarily. Yeah, that's true. You might be able to go back. Yep. Okay, question yes. <laughs> we did it. Okay, next question. Yes, this is an anonymous question. Wait, actually, the question itself is not, but the listener who wrote the question is. <laughs> <laughs> the question is just a bunch of underscores. <laughs> And we get to fill it in with whatever we want. (laughs) Okay, so this person writes, I've been working at the same job for five years. It's my first real job, and it's getting more and more exhausting to argue with my coworkers about new technologies and practices. Should I keep trying to change things or find a new job? Okay, I'm going to (laughs) draw. Quit your job, quit your job, quit your job, quit your job. (laughs) I, to me, this is a no-brainer. Like five years, first job, t- 
totally get a new job. You'll be amazed at all the cool stuff that's out there. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't have anything else to say about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to say one more thing to ruin the punchy <laughs> back and forth we had. <laughs> you, you shouldn't just quit your job for quitting your job's sake, I think, but it sounds like this person is looking to explore more and they're not finding that at their job. And that seems like a good reason if you've been there for five years mm-hmm. to, to quit and explore other opportunities. There was more um, detail in the question that we didn't share, but it was basically led me to believe that this person feels pretty attached to their job and to the people there, which can make it hard. You know, you might feel like you're stabbing them in the back or something, but it's been a long time and five years is plenty for your first job. Yep. All right. We, we did it. We rapidly okay. fired. That was, that was our three question rapid fire. It's a good thing we have uh, three bullets in each of our guns. Yeah, that's true. They're, our six shooters. they're the legendary three shooters <laughs> <laughs> used by all the cowboys in the Wild West. <laughs> okay, so that's the end of the rapid fire section. Now we're going to do our regular question style. This is from a listener named Addie Kunle, and it goes a little something like this. Um, hi, Dave and Jameson. Thank you for your fun presentation of the Soft Skills Podcast. I've listened to every episode since you started. Thank you so much. Uh, So have I. So we are now friends. (laughs) Um, Here's my question. We are a small company of seven developers. We've got a project manager who is a control freak and is addicted to micromanagement. He loves to, air quotes, stay on top of things. How does one handle such a personality without having to appear like that difficult employee? Ooh, micromanagers. That's a good question. I was telling Dave before the show that I think if I ever was in charge of a, a lot of people... And I wasn't like scared of them thinking I was stupid. My default would be to micromanage because I really, really don't like feeling out of control. And so Mm -hmm. one way to feel in control is just like make everyone do exactly what you want all the time. Which is why this podcast is the way it is. I mean, I can't can't make a single decision. Without this guy just breathing down my neck. That silence was me typing angrily to Dave in Skype. Now you better say this or else. Oh, yep. micromanagers are so hard. Yeah. Have Although you the, worked? Oh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I, was, I have worked with a micromanager. I have been a micromanager. Have you, have you like overthrown one before? No. Like led a rebellion against them? No, you know me. I just quit. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, the worst kind of micromanager is the one who says, I'm not a micromanager. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just get stuff done. I don't believe in micromanagement, but I'm going to need you to tell me everything you did for the last... But it's really important that you do this this certain way because it's really time sensitive or really important <laughs> to the customers or... Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. So I would say that when you're in this situation, the first thing you need to do is try to understand the micromanager. Why are they micromanaging? Something is motivating this behavior. Is it fear? Are they afraid the team will make a mistake that they might be able to catch? Are they afraid they'll get asked a question by one of their coworkers or superiors that they won't know the answer to? That's what I would find out. Fear of death? Fear. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, maybe you just die if you mess up in a meeting. He's already got one foot in the grave. Yep. Uh, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If you understand the risks that he's trying to avert, then maybe there's a better way to help him avert those risks. 
or maybe you could you could meet that need right some other way yeah yeah like if he's got a fear of dying um <laughs> i think the traditional way is you like go on a life journey and do a lot of dangerous stuff and realize that life is more meaningful if you're living and if you're not ruled by fear all the time <laughs> so you'll probably do like tandem uh riding together and <laughs> lots of stuff like that <laughs> okay so after that um <laughs> would you ever just say like I feel like you're micromanaging me and it's hard for me to work in, in that environment. I, I think I would, but I know Jameson, that's probably, you're probably getting uh, sweaty palms right now. Just hearing me say that. Yeah, I am. Well, just like Bruce Banner, the secret is my palms are always sweaty. <laughs> I already have sweaty palms. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe like go behind him and grab his hands and on his keyboard with his hands type out, you are a micromanager. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> And then you can demonstrate how it feels bad. <laughs> so, but seriously, the word micromanager has such negative connotations that I think if you approach someone and said, I feel, I feel micromanaged, I think that that message might hit them so hard that they might just be like, whoa, 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 you know, and it might get give them enough pause might get really defensive you're saying they, well, or they might give them they might get defensive or it might get it might be one of those moments where they realize suddenly oh, it might it might shake them up yeah enough. yeah like shake them into introspection and a little bit of self-reflection okay wait a minute are you suggesting that when i have negative things to say to people i should just make it like so negative <laughs> like <laughs> like the defibrillators when someone's heart has stopped <laughs> <laughs> you just have to like crank it up <laughs> to make sure the message gets through. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm just envisioning myself sitting across the table from a reasonable person who doesn't know they're a micromanager and then expressing yeah. how I feel when they do certain things. And it, this is, it's very helpful if you can cite specific examples. You know, if you just say, hey, you're a micromanager, they're, they're not going to have any idea. You know, hmm. they'll be like, well, what are you talking about? Like, give me an example and you you better be prepared. How, okay. How would I know if I'm a micromanager? Because you could also say there's a flip side of the micromanager coin, which is like very detail oriented and someone who cares a lot about like the polish of little things. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I don't know what, what makes you cross the line? I think what makes you cross the line is when you clearly reach into somebody else's area of responsibility and tell them how, not just what they're responsible for, but how to achieve that, like the methods to achieve the thing they're responsible for. You know, that's micromanagement. Hmm. Like it's one thing to say, I want you to produce a UI that meets these requirements. It's another thing to say, I want you to do it using this framework, this programming language, these tools, and this bug tracker, you know? And then I want your, you know, process to follow this process that I read about. And, you know, I mean, and some of that's, it's a lot of gray area though, right? Yeah. So I think the opposite of micromanagement is when you give someone complete latitude to succeed or fail, where you are willing to say, I'm going to assign this to this job to someone. And if they fail, I will let them feel the consequences of the failure. And if you can honestly say that you're going to do that, then you're probably not a micromanager. But if you're saying, look, I'm only going to, 
I'll only swoop in and fix things if they're going bad. You know, then you might be a micromanager. Hmm. So there's this really cool book I read a couple years ago called Multipliers. And in the book, the author lists characteristics of great leaders. And micromanager is one of the anti-characteristics. But the opposite of a micromanager is an investor. And what, what she means when she says investor is that you're willing to give ownership and accountability to others and that you let them both take ownership of their success and their failures. Whereas a micromanager keeps ownership for themselves and it ultimately leads to an environment where people will wait to be told what to do because they uh, have been shown that their failure is not an option. In other words, that uh, this guy's going to rush in, in this case, and make sure that everything goes his way um, so that you know they just can't take ownership of the whole process. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I like um, the recognition of the costs of micromanagement because I think that might lead to a discussion you could have with your manager that's not like, it's not just, I don't like it. It's like, this is how it's harming Mm-hmm. the performance of the team like you said it's hard to feel autonomy and ownership and it can be hard to feel motivated if you feel like someone's like puppet and they're just gonna yeah. make you dance and do the thing however they want it done and then yeah it, it can be hard to feel like you're contributing yeah your human effort is just like your mechanical effort yeah exactly like what am i even doing here why why do we even have this job yeah yeah I mean, it's also, so beyond the effect on people's motivations, I think it's it's hard to scale micromanagement. The company has seven people, so he can probably micromanage however many people are on the dev team. Mm-hmm. Which it's, there's probably not that many, but but if the company does well and is successful and you have 50 people and suddenly this product team has 20 people on it, then you just can't, can't keep up. Can't micro, you can't type on all those keyboards all at once. <laughs> I only have so many hands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, you're saying one solution is just grow the team to like 20 engineers and then you yeah, can't possibly true. keep up anymore? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then either there's one small team that is under the domain of this micromanager or maybe he'll be like upper management and mm-hmm. then he's micromanaging like two middle managers. Middle micromanagement. Yeah, yeah. And they're the micromanagement buffers between you and him and... Well, this is a conversation that you could have with the manager that might be a little bit softer than just coming out and telling them you're a micromanager. You could maybe say, hey, if we're going to grow this team and grow this company, uh, I think we're going to need to scale ownership out so that individuals can own more responsibility and have more latitude in decision making rather than having to run everything through you. Um, How do you feel about giving me or maybe you nominate one of your unsuspecting coworkers to give them more leadership and and more responsibility over the team. Yeah, that that's a good point too. It's not just it'll harm the growth of the team. It'll harm the growth of the people on the team. They mm-hmm. won't Yeah. They won't progress that much if they're just under this person's domain. So Yeah, and and I mean part of a manager's job is to grow their team. Yeah, but this sounds like a project manager based on the question, oh, yeah, which might that's true. they might have ulterior motives. And and one of the things I've noticed about project that's like managers like the assistant is, to the regional manager. <laughs> yeah. I've noticed that some project managers they just really want to know the current status, you know? Oh yeah, that's like, is it done? That's like, is it done? When's it going to be done? It's like the driving purpose of their being. And it's even I mean, we've talked about this before, but they 
they do not control the status too. So it's even more like nerve wracking. Yeah. Yeah, Like here they are, they've signed up for a date. They have to give status on that date, but they have no impact on moving that date. Right. They can't make it go any faster. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is it's good to be a micromanager because then you know the dates really well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, if, if you can, that goes back to what we said earlier. If you can find some way to, meet the needs that is that that are causing him to micromanage in another way. Like if he's mm-hmm. really concerned about dates, um, there's probably other things you can do to alleviate the date pressure. Mm-hmm. Or, or publish that information through like an asynchronous channel so that he's not coming to you and saying, is it done yet? Is it done yet? Yeah. You know, maybe like a, like a simple webpage or a Trello board or something where you can update the status periodically. Sure. Or even better, some kind of automated system like a burndown chart or something that says, hey, look, just go put your ruler up on the screen and trace the line to the burndown. That's the date, you know? Do those work? I've never worked somewhere that have one, that has one of those. It doesn't really matter. This <laughs> In this case. Okay, that's true. It works if it if it gets him off your back. Yeah, see that? <laughs> not, right, right. not if it predicts the date correctly. Exactly. <laughs> okay, good point. Um, <laughs> Also, in this case, there may be another manager in this situation who could help. So we have a project manager and we have some developers. Maybe there's another manager. And if you can clearly communicate the effect that this micromanagement is having on your team to that manager, maybe that manager can help you put in place some process to protect you from micromanagement. You know, but this this is where communication is key, right? You have to explain why it's harmful in terms that make sense to them. Yeah. And it can't just be, well, I'm annoyed by all the questions I get, you know, because you got to be a team player, right? Yep. Well, is there any more wisdom to lend to this question? I don't think so. This is a tough situation. Uh, And um, I think that it delves into human motivation. And that can be a very non-deterministic, hard-to-understand place. So, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's also... There's this cult of the of the controlling genius, and it all stems from Steve Jobs. I was going to say Steve Jobs. <laughs> like, he was a micromanager, and he, he made Apple, and he built the best company ever, and he built mm-hmm. all the best products. And, like, mm-hmm. there's there's all these uh, – I worked at a company um, where we eventually forbid the mention of Facebook as, like, an example to look mm-hmm. at because we had, like, 10 people and mm-hmm. did something that wasn't related to them. Yeah, but it's just so tempting to say like, look at this successful person or a company and do what they do, even though even though <laughs> you're in a totally different situation, and yep. the different situation we are in from Steve Jobs is like most of us aren't brilliant product people. Yeah, exactly. It's like if someone says, "Well, Steve are you Jobs like did literally the best product person who has ever lived in the history of technology?" If so, you cool. can micromanage me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then then you then you doing it and telling people what to do will always be better than them figuring it out. But like Yeah. But you're probably know. not. <laughs> yeah. So try saying that to him. <laughs> is like, what I'm saying. <laughs> you're a pretty good project manager, but you're no Steve Jobs. <laughs> yeah. Invent me an iPhone, then I'll let you tell me what characters to type. <laughs> of course then the next day he'll show up in a black turtleneck and be like, "Let's do this." Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Question answered, I think. Question answered. We did it. Dave, where can people go if they want to have us answer their questions? Go to our website, softskills.audio, where you will find dancing gopher animated GIFs and thousands of banner ads. 
<laughs> Just kidding. But you can play past episodes, and you, there's a button you can click to send us questions, and a lot of people have been doing that, um, far more than we can respond to. That's actually part of why we did the rapid fire today. Hopefully mm-hmm. we um, did those questions a, at least some degree of justice with our three shooters. And uh, yep. so you can also go to follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at softskillseng, and you can send us questions there. Our direct message account is open, so feel free to send us unconstrained messages of as many characters as you want on Twitter. Yeah, it's true. Be careful with that power, though. Don't don't let it go to your head. <laughs> uh, thank you again to Algolia for sponsoring the podcast, and head to algolia.com slash soft skills engineering to check out the job that we talked about yep thanks very much all right catch you next week